turn back on your Bibles then to the book of Acts and chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And tonight, just going to close out the, the narrative of uh, Saul's conversion that we read in those first 19 chapters. So last time I preached, we, 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 we looked at the uh, immediate initial encounter that Saul had with the glorified Jesus Christ. And when that light that shone brighter than the sun uh, revealed to Saul that um, even though he deserved destruction for seeking to persecute the church of Christ, that's what he would deserve in God's justice and wrath. God was gracious to him and God was calling him and was turning his life around. The one who once persecuted the church would now become his, it's his, his, his friend, her friend. And um, perhaps <laughs> very few ever loved the church as deeply as um, the apostle Paul went on to do. Very few gave their lives for the church like he did. And in his own words, a significant part of that was his awareness of the grace that Jesus Christ had shown him and um, his, uh, his, his conviction that he, he gets from that encounter about just how much Christ is in love with his church, how much Christ loves his church. So, so, why are you persecuting me? Jesus said. Um, it's me that you are persecuting. So, and, and um, I, I, I was making two, maybe wanted to emphasize two things. Um, one was that Saul never, Paul never quite, Saul Paul, never quite got over the significance of, of that encounter. It, it played right through his, um, his life, right through his ministry. He, you could see, and you could see perhaps as I hinted at, um, you could see the roots of all that he went on to emphasize in his ministerial work, all that went on to be um, at the forefront of how he proclaimed the gospel, how he preached. You could see that in his, um, in, in just that first encounter. It, after all, it was a vision of the glorified Jesus. And so it, it never left them. But also, and this is getting more to the heart of, you know, why this portion of scripture even exists. It's not, it's not Paul writing this. Paul tells us significantly a lot about his own conversion himself. If you just read through his, his epistles, he does allude to it, but not in the kind of detail that, to the level of detail that Luke does anyway. And, you know, you're going to find that Luke retells this, well, in Paul's words as well, but he, he does retell this story a number of times over again in, the, in, 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 this, in this, this book. And so, so why Luke is writing this? And um, really, in, in, in the context of Luke chapter 9, it's because Luke is testifying to how Jesus Christ continued to build his church. Remember, it's in the immediate context of persecution the church is actually scattered at this point um, because they're proclaiming the name of Jesus. Uh, but Jesus 
um, raised this soul up. Jesus met with, confronted this soul, as it were, because nothing, the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And, um, and this is how this soul becomes the instrument that Jesus Christ is going to use to fulfill that which he promised to his disciples. You will be my witnesses. And that message was going to spread from Jerusalem to and Judea to Samaria to uh, to, 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 to all all of, all of of the world. And the Apostle Paul is a vital instrument in that. Um, and as I said last time, it's it it, it behoves the church. It's necessary for us to esteem Paul highly to value him, to love him, to love his ministry because of how Christ chose to use him, how the Spirit chose to use his ministry. And we must be careful when false teachers and false teaching comes and arises to try and undermine the the ministry of Paul, who never contradicted his Lord but spoke for him. Well, we are going to look at another part of this, of the conversion story. So it seems to me to be one whole story, but um, you know, the, the first is the encounter with the risen Christ. The first part of Saul's conversion, significant part is, is Saul's own encounter with the risen Christ. He, he has this vision of Jesus. He's glorified Jesus. And you know how that ends? Verse nine says that, uh, from, or verse eight B, that they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. So the last that we see of um, the last that we see of Saul, he is blinded by the sight of Jesus Christ. He's fasting. You know, he's 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 in this place of weakness, having encountered the glorified Jesus. And that's the last thing that we we see. And then there's a next significant section in Acts that tells us about Saul's conversion, how, the, how, how this whole conversion was completed. And because after that, he's, we then see him commissioned. He, he goes out, he goes out, he goes forth to do work for the gospel. And this, these next, verse, next few verses in 10 to 19, uh, significant because they introduce this brother, this uh, character, Ananias, right? Ananias is another person who is called to play a significant role in kind of, he, he's, he more affirms Saul's calling, Saul's conversion into the church, Saul's conversion to Christ, sorry. He affirms that he's, Christ chooses to use Ananias in this way. He's probably a, um, uh, he's probably a leader in one of the, the churches in, in Damascus, you know, uh, Damascus, where Saul was going to um, antagonize and to persecute the believers. And Ananias is probably there. He, he tells us later on that he, he knew very well of this Saul, at least thought he did. And he had an idea of what this man's mission was. Uh, but Jesus Christ appears to him. It's, and so this is no small thing. Or at least in a vision, Christ appears to him um, and says to him, he, he needs to go and complete this, um, complete this, it's almost a symbolic act, right? It would be a symbol, symbolic act of laying his hands on 
on, on, on Saul and restoring his sight to him, which Jesus had shown Saul in the vision. He had shown Saul that this man was going to come to you, lay his hands on you, and you would see again and you'd be ready to go and fulfill the commission I will give you. So it's, it's an interesting thing. It's, it's, it's obviously, um, if Christ wanted, he could have sent Saul off right there and then, right as soon as Saul had seen him. And, you know, he could have sent him off there and then, commissioned there and then. I, there's no sense that, there's no indication that Jesus Christ needed the uh, instrumentality or the help of Ananias. Of course not, but he, but he does. Our Lord does choose to use Ananias to affirm, to confirm his work. Um, and so it, it's, it's, helpful to, it's helpful to just look at what it is that Ananias seems to be called to confirm in the life of um, Paul. Uh, the, 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 the instrumentality of Ananias in um, confirming the calling of Saul. Now it's interesting because Later on in Saul's life, he's very adamant, although it's contextual, but he's very careful to say that there was no one, no one commissioned him. He didn't receive his commission from any man. He, he was commissioned by Christ alone. Now, that's, again, that's contextual. That wasn't Paul being boastful or being opposed to uh, authority. It, it, it was contextual to him needing to affirm, assert his, his, his calling as an apostle. So they could let them know it was Jesus Christ that gave that called me. It wasn't just called by any man. And, and and yet, so Paul says that in Galatians, but obviously he's not meaning to. Well, it's not contradicting the role of Ananias, right? Ananias is not called to. He doesn't commission Paul. Doesn't give Paul his message. Everything that Ananias seemingly will say to us, so Christ had already said to him directly. He's there to confirm. Right, um, and just on the very face of it, what he confirms in the life of Paul is inst- would be instructive for us anyway, as far as uh, as far as suggesting to us some of those things that, as Christians, the Lord might often uh, call us to confirm in the life of others. You see, we we don't create these things. Um, it's not through our strength or through our power. We're not creating anything. But God does use us to, to encourage his people. He does use us to, as I say, to confirm um, his work in the life of people. But maybe also Ananias was, was, uh, is, is symbolic of the church's welcome to the apostle. The, you know, the, the, the role the church, is play, the church plays in recognizing um, the work of God in the life of the apostle. And that's, again, that's, that might be instructive for us. That's, that's what we do as a church. Even, even, you know, when sinners walk into our congregation and we preach the gospel to them, and if they're moved by it, and they're saved, they're delivered by it, whatever we do from then on, we lead them through baptism, teach them the doctrines of the faith, all of those things. We, we show them how to, we show them about the means of grace. We help them to have clarity. All those things are nothing but 
our efforts to confirm the work that the Spirit is doing. We're not creating it from scratch. But, as you will see, it's still a, it's still a work to do, right? Jesus Christ says to Ananias, Lord said to him in, in the vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. That, that little exchange there alone is reminiscent of other appearances of God to, uh, to, to men in, the, in, in, pre, in previous times in the scriptures. Think of someone like Samuel. Samuel didn't have, actually uh, understand the voice of the Lord at, at, at first until Eli told him how to respond. And, and, all those, and what they always indicate is a sense of God giving us uh, a serious mission, a call. God giving us something that we have to take seriously. God has commanded us to do. So, again, in one sense, Ananias, he's not, he's, God, Christ can call and send Saul without him. Christ doesn't need him. And yet, in another sense, if he doesn't go, those skills don't fall from Saul's eyes. And he doesn't, um, doesn't go ahead and begin this mission that's going to change the world, right? And so Ananias has to be obedient to that. Even if after all is said and done and after all Ananias, after Ananias does all that he does, he realizes that he actually hasn't done anything. It's all, all for the glory of Christ. Well, let me draw attention to is that Christ calls Ananias to confirm in the life of Saul. Um, it's a number of things. One, you may say that Christ calls Ananias to confirm this man's conversion. Go and confirm that. Uh, and when I say confirm, I don't mean to inquire, but to, to give Saul the um, the 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 warmth, the reception of, of the church, right? Go and, go, go and Ananias' presence in the life of Saul acts as a confirmation to Saul, and for Ananias, of course, that Saul is now a child of God. Saul, the enemy of the church, is now its friend. He now belongs to the church. Right, and we, we see that in a, a number of things, a number of um, reasons that we see that. So, when the Lord tells him to go to this place, to this house where Saul is, and um, just a, a small detail, when our Lord says, behold, he is praying. Now, I, I make allusion to this as, because of a, uh, a sermon I listened to. Oh, I, I said listen to, that's not true, I read by Charles Spurgeon, so uh, uh, 19th century English preacher, uh, one of the finest, I mean, now we, we read his sermon and writing, one of the finest preachers, I, I would think, yeah, arguably the finest preacher of, of a long time. Let me, let, me, let me just say that, and Spurgeon is worth reading, it's really worth reading. Um, and Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon has a, a sermon called Paul's First Prayer, 
And this whole sermon, he's preaching about just that little line, behold, he is praying, right? And he's making the point that this is, um, that, that, that he, says, he says, this is an announcement that's being made in heaven, behold, he is praying. And he, he uses this sermon to instruct his, the congregation at the time that he's preaching to about, the, about what prayer is. How prayer is this signal mark that we now belong to the people of God. Behold, he is praying. Well, that's the, he's reading from the quote. Uh, uh, yeah. For behold, he is praying. Go to Saul, he is praying. He says, for Ananias, that's confirmation that there is, that should be confirmation to you that there's a life of God in this man. Behold, he is praying. Um, and, he, and, he, and, he, and he says all this. And uh, 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 he, he says, it was, it was a reminder to, to Saul that now God could see him. God knew where he was. He was one of God's people. He was God's child. He's, he's praying and God hears him. God knows his street. God knows his name. Um, and Ananias is to, is to go and recognize uh, the work of the Spirit in the life of Saul. Now, no, no doubt Saul was a man who um, had prayed before. He was, he was, he was, uh, he was, he was a Hebrew. He was a Jew. It was part of their religion to pray. But I'm sure Paul will say he didn't know how to pray, or maybe that prior to this he hadn't truly prayed. Prayed to the living God through Jesus Christ, with the witness of the Holy Spirit. And now he was doing so. Now he was, he was praying. And imagine when. Ananias arrives in response to Saul's prayer. Who, know what, who knows what Saul was praying? I'm sure a lot of that praying was asking for forgiveness, for mercy, for comfort, to keep him, to strengthen him. And when Ananias arrives, in somewhat in answer to that prayer, I'm sure uh, Saul is encouraged about uh, the calling of God on his life. He's encouraged um, that this Jesus whom he once persecuted has truly now forgiven him. So um, Ananias is representative of confirming that Saul is now one of God's children. There is this, there is that mark of conversion. Also, remember that Ananias doesn't actually want to go. Uh, Jesus Christ actually says to him, he is seen in his vision, a man named Ananias, come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias says, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. And so he's almost incredulous, uh, Ananias. He says, this, I don't think you have the right person. Are you sure? You know... I mean, okay, if I am to go, how am I going to approach him? Because he actually probably wants to arrest me at this point. And, and Jesus Christ says, no, go. There's, essentially, there's been a great change in this man. Go. He's now no longer an enemy. He's my instrument. Um, and so Ananias has to recognize the transformation. Ananias has to recognize that even the worst type of sinner can and has changed. 
you know, you would have thought he would know this. Uh, but even for us as Christians who we, we, we preach the gospel, we proclaim, as we just said, that the gospel, great is the gospel of our glorious God. Even for us, sometimes we have a, a, a prejudice. We, we have a, a bias that sometimes that implies that we think only a certain type can be saved. Or that some people might have done so much that we should not expect them to be saved. But we must not forget that we might have a role like Ananias does. And we have to confirm, we have to affirm that man's, woman's sins can be forgiven. This person is now a child of God. You know, maybe this person has a backlog of things that the world will not forgive that the world would cancel them for, that the world would reject them for and withhold redemption from them for. We can't, we're not there. We're, we're, not, we're not here to answer for the world and its um, preferences. We're not here to answer for the world and its culture. We're here to represent Jesus Christ. And if Christ has given new life to someone, if Christ has, has called one, has delivered one from darkness, if Christ has forgiven someone's sins, uh, our calling as a church is only to affirm that. So Ananias is called to affirm the conversion. And you notice that Ananias obeys the voice of Christ, goes to his house, and he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you might regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And after these scales fall from the eyes, which are probably a symbol of 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 not just physical, but the spiritual uh, vision that, that, that uh, Saul now has. He rose and was baptized, right? And Ananias was there for that. We, we, the church is there for that, to offer baptism to those who want to follow in the way of the Lord, to not withhold baptism from them. Anyway, that's, the, that's one thing is the conversion. Another thing that you see that Ananias is affirming by his presence in Saul's life is, his, his, is the calling of God upon his life. Of course, there's that sense in which it was crystal clear in the words that Christ spoke to him. At least if you read later descriptions of, that Paul gives of this encounter. But Ananias still had a role in doing that. He had a role in affirming to confirming in Saul's life God's call upon his life, that glorious call that Christ had given him. After Ananias protests initially the um, possibility of going to this Saul, Jesus Christ says he is an instrument, a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. And Ananias does not disobey the voice of God. He goes forth and he, uh, he goes to Saul and he confirms to Saul the, the calling that Christ has for him. Christ has called you. Saul would have known that the presence of Ananias, laying hands on him, allowing him to see so he could carry about, go on about his work, was the sign that it was time for him to go and fulfill God's call upon his life. That's the other thing that Ananias confirms in the life of um, this recently converted Saul, is that God had a calling for him. 
a special work for him. Um, special, and it wasn't, it wasn't just, of course, we all have a calling, but his, his calling was, was unique. Saul had his own, God had his own design for Saul. He had his own mission to fulfill. And I, I'm suggesting that it's a reminder to us that very often God wants to use his church. He wants to use us to confirm his calling upon the life of his people. That's, why, that's one of the things that the church is here for, is to, uh, to note the giftings, the calling that God has upon uh, a man or a woman and to encourage it and to support it and not to be a hindrance. And the Lord may call us to do that to, uh, that's, that's one of the things that the church, that's one of the things that the church does. We, we confirm that there's a call upon someone's life. It's, a typical example is always with, with ministry, right, and preaching. And it's the most important thing when the church recognizes that a man is called, for example, to be a preacher. It's the most important thing, right, that a man is not a kind of just like a, he's not like a freelance preacher. He's just, and he's just taking it upon himself to, um, to, to feel like he, he has a passion or a desire for preaching um, and then goes about seeking to uh, affirm this calling himself. If the Apostle Paul, who indeed was called in a way that no one else can be called, saw the glory of Christ, if he could still have that call affirmed by the, the presence of, of Ananias, then who, who, who is... Who are we to not seek that same kind of um, uh, impact on our lives uh, to, 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 for the church to affirm? And of course, in that regard, the church can often see far more than just whether a man has certain gifts. The church can also judge whether a man has a character, whether a man is going to be um, an example for the people to imitate. Christ, right? The church can also do that. And, but we must be prayerfully sensitive to that. I'm not saying that Jesus Christ is going to speak to us in the same way he spoke to Ananias. No. This is, this is, a, this is a, a very unique thing. This is a unique thing that happened in the history of the church. But it, it doesn't mean that we, we don't still seek and desire for, for Christ to speak to us clearly through his word, to guide us, to lead us, and that we're not waiting must be prepared to not be an obstacle, you know, to, to, to the calling of Christ upon his people's life. The Lord still has, he still has things for his people to do. He still has work for them to do. And we must be very, we must be sure that we're ready as a church to confirm that, not to deter, not to delay, not to distract, but to, to, to push people to serve for Christ. Um, and that's what Ananias does. Another thing that Ananias, um, at least he's, he's told, um, and, and, and I want to assume that it's something that he communicates to, um, to, to Saul, is something of, of the nature of discipleship and following Jesus. Notice what our Lord says to Ananias. Um, 
after telling Ananias, verse 15, that he's a chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. He says, I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. The one who once made, who sought to make others suffer for the name of Christ must now suffer far more than they ever did for the sake of the name. Um, and uh, that's, that's, that's the message that Jesus Christ had for Ananias through uh, Ananias as he was going, going to, to visit Saul. And I, I want to I, I I, I assume that it was something that Ananias uh, would have confirmed to Saul. You're going to suffer many things for the name of Christ. Right? The nature of discipleship. Ananias uh, was not to, he wasn't to deceive Saul. He wasn't to, um, he, he wasn't to make things look easy for him. He was to, this is a great calling you have that must come with much suffering. You must suffer much persecution um, in doing the faithful work of Christ. Uh, you, you will be persecuted. And Ananias was to, he confirmed that. He would confirm that to Saul. Suffer many things for the sake of the name. Of course, the very presence of this church in the might have been a confirmation of that for so remember that until this uh, encounter Ananias may perhaps have been the very object of suffering for the sake of Christ's name Saul was on his way to persecute churches in Damascus and who knows Ananias might have been one of them um, and so Paul, of course, would have seen. I, I, and if I now belong to these people, I belong to a, a suffering people. I belong to a suffering people. It's one of the beautiful things that the church, I say beautiful, in the sense of strengthening, right? We, we confirm and we confirm each other so that we can suffer faithfully for Christ. I know that we haven't resisted and suffered persecution in our nation like some of our brothers and sisters abroad. But, I mean, I don't want to be a prophet of doom. It would seem like the time is coming. And I'm sure that we already see, we already feel the tensions that we experience by being Christians. We already see how um, popular opinion is not on our side. How many of the things that we take for granted to be true and right are deemed false and evil in the world. How the things that we would call good according to the word of God are called evil. And I think the days are coming when so many Christians will need to be encouraged by other Christians. To that confirmation that what it means to follow Jesus is to suffer. To suffer for him. And that suffering in and of itself, is far from being a reason to turn around, to turn your back on Christ, to give up. In fact, very often it's the very reason to know that you should be following him. And a good church must be ready to demonstrate that. I'm not saying that good churches have to be sad or joyless or somber or not enjoy um, God's good gifts. But there must be a sense that we are not so attached to pleasure and ease that we cannot contemplate 
suffering. Right? The people of God are people who, in this world, expect to face persecution because they proclaim godliness. And, you know, if, if Saul visited, Saul got to Damascus, he would have met Christians who he could easily, he could relate, he could see that, he would have seen. Yes, he was a chosen vessel to suffer for the sake of Christ's name, but he would have seen Christians around him who already knew what it was like to do that and still know the joy of the Lord. And you, we want to be, we have to be, we want to make sure we're a kind of congregation that that can be said of. That these folks are ready to stand for Jesus and not be ashamed. That they're ready to stand for Jesus Christ. And if, it, if it's his will, they, they're ready to lose a lot, to lose it all for him. They're not going to, there's nothing they will place above faithfulness to his name. Right? It may come out in a conversation that, you know, you have with a brother or sister. It, it may come out that way. It may come out because you have similar career paths. It may come out because you are facing similar family troubles. But the, 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 the idea that we are ready to suffer for Christ must be something that's communicated um, in our churches. And God uses, it, uses Ananias to confirm that life of Saul. Just two more things. Another thing that Saul confirms in the life of, uh, sorry, Ananias confirms in Saul's life, is the, just the fellowship of the church, you know? Ananias is to go and welcome this man in, the welcome into the church, welcome into the people of God. And if I may just um, lean on, if you like, one word, one word that, by which um, Ananias relates to Saul in verse 17. So after Ananias has departed and entered the house, laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, this is the man who has gone from being petrified of this character, right? Not trusting him at all. But because he believes the words of Jesus, because Christ has brought this man into his family, he calls him brother. It was, he, he, was, he was called to be an expression of the fellowship of the spirit that we now have. You're my brother, your, your brother Saul. This is the same Saul who was on his way to persecute the, the people of God. You know, in, in, in Acts chapter 9, uh, it's, the, it's the first usage of, the, 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 of, 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 of reference to the believer, believers as saints. The New Testament we get from verse 13. Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints, your holy ones at Jerusalem, your set-apart ones. And later on, um, 14, Saul says, uh, and I says, he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. Right? Saul was doing an evil work, attacking the saints of God, opposing those who all they do is they call on God's name. They're described as the ones who call on God for salvation. But now, Ananias was confirming that Saul was now a part of the saints. He was now a part of those who call on the name of God. He was brother Saul. I, I preached a sermon on that, on that in, a, in a baptism service once, I think. And I said, you know, when we, um, when we undertake, uh, I said it was degrees of brotherhood in the scripture. You can be someone's brother because you're just human. You're all, we're all human beings. So we're, in one sense, there's a, there's a brotherhood there. 
I said we were all brothers, maybe sometimes because we're all from the same nation or same, you know, same ethnicity. Uh, again, sometimes we're all brothers because we're from the same family, you know, as you think of brotherhood by blood. But there's one that's even deeper. There's one that's the greatest of all. This one is thicker than, than blood. This one is lasting and eternal. It's the brotherhood of the spirit. We're brothers and sisters because of God's Holy Spirit. That means we are a family of God. And so uh, Ananias confirmed that to Saul. My brother. It wasn't long after this man had persecuted the church and had been an enemy, but now that he had trusted in Jesus, and we must be careful to confirm the fellowship, have to do so. We must strive to confirm the fellowship. You know, if someone comes into the house and they name the name of Jesus Christ, comes into this place, I'm not saying that everyone that does that is a Christian, no, but people often will come in here and you know they've come from another church. They've come in here and they're Christians and they love Jesus like you do. We must, we, 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 we confirm we're brothers, a brother and sister. You know, it's not always straightforward in, in this uh, life, in this, uh, in this side of eternity. We will see in its, in, its, in its perfect form, one day in glory, how much God has bound us together in ways that you cannot imagine. We're truly family. But the church on earth now has one, a duty to strive to pursue that depth of love and affection, a love that's willing to sacrifice, lay down its life for each other. But also we have a duty to, to, to welcome those in who, who, who um, Jesus Christ will add to his church and say, we're brothers and sisters. You know, when you become, come to the church, you come to a family. And a church that's not living, pursuing that sort of standard, is a backsliding church. A church that settles for anything less than pursuing the implications of being the family of God. You know, sometimes churches get into that. They just, they settle for being fellow workers. They, they settle um, for be, just being, just being, I'm not, I'm not saying we're not workers, but just being fellow workers. They might even settle for being acquaintances. Um, and yet, that's not what God calls. God calls his people to something much deeper. There's a brotherhood. We must strive to confirm fellowship. And it doesn't matter who the person is or what the person has done or what you feel about the person's character. If they name the name of Jesus and, they, and, and they're his own, even in this world where we still have remaining sin, remember, we, we, we have a duty to confirm the, the fellowship, the, the depth of fellowship that's in the church of God. We're brothers we're sisters. doesn't matter what, what past you have, what history you have. Maybe in the past you've lived a certain kind of lifestyle. Maybe in the past, maybe that lifestyle is broadcasted for people to see. People know you to be this kind of person. This is how you've lived. And for whatever reason, you know, in this, in, I can imagine that's nothing that cannot happen in this world we live in. Social media and the kind of foolishness and foolish photos and videos that people put up. Imagine that. Someone comes into our church and they've, they've had a whole life that's been blasted on social media and they have a terrible reputation and, and maybe rightly so for, the, for, the, for some terrible things they did or wayward ways they lived. But now that person has been washed by the blood of the Lamb and we're going to embrace them and say, you are a family. No, no, we, you are a brother here. You are your sister here. 
Um, God forbid that we should be ashamed of you. Christ is not ashamed of us. So who are we to be ashamed of you? We are brother and sister. We must strive to, to do that. And the last thing, um, well, I, I don't know if it's something that you say Ananias confirms to Saul. Um, it's certainly something that we see in an Ananias, at least. That in being God's instrument to work in this way in the life of Saul, right? He's God's instrument to do this work of, if you want, confirmation in the life of Saul. That in being this instrument, um, he, he is called to be obedient. He's called to be bold. And he's called to be selfless, right? Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. It's the voice of obedience. He's, 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 he's willing to be obedient to what God calls him to. That's the, that's the indication we get. God, Ananias, one of God's obedient servants. And even though, yes, he has questions, he's only human, he has these questions. Soon as he, you, know, you know, notice that at least there's no record of Jesus Christ debating or clarifying this issue with him, as it were. Christ doesn't say, no, 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 I met with him. He says, go. I've chosen him. Again, Ananias is ready to move at the command of the Lord. And when he gets to Saul, Saul's house, I'm sure he must have been, I'm sure he was nervous, but he also had to be brave. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me, has to boldly go to this man. And as I said, he's, he's selfless. It's not about Ananias. It's not about him, whatever feelings he may have had about this man. This is about the glory of Jesus. Um, and he, he, all Ananias does, he lays hands on this man. Christ does the miracle of removing the blindness. It's not, he's, he's, and we don't see much of Ananias again. We don't see, Paul takes a, a significant chunk of the rest of the book of Acts. Ananias, this is us. Now, of course, this is significant enough for him, but, but, but he, wasn't, he, wasn't, he wasn't seeking his own glory. He could care less for himself. What he sought was the fame of Jesus. And if God is going to use us in this way, if, if, and, 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 I think, and I believe God does. I believe he does call his church um, to, to, to confirm his work in the life of men and women. And when God uses us this way, we have to be like Ananias in that sense. We have to be obedient people, folks who are obedient, who are not so preoccupied with how we feel about something or who are not, who are not so preoccupied with whether we like something, but we're, we're, we're concerned to be obedient. And we have to be bold. Very often times we don't, we don't complete the tasks God gives us because we're not, we're not bold. But if, we believe, if, we've, if, if God has commanded us to do something, We've heard the word of God and we believe, then we have to be bold. We have to, be, we have to go and bravely do what God calls us to do. It might not feel nice. It might not be your kind of thing. It might make you feel awkward, but you've, you have to be bold. And you know what? You know that bravery, uh, that obedience comes from a desire to see Jesus alone glorified when it's not about us. I'm not trying to do this so people would know that, oh, Kenny was instrumental. No, I just want Jesus to be glorified. Christ wants this done. He deserves all the glory. And so I, I go and I put myself out to, to serve. Well, let me close just by saying uh, that even with the 
even with the instrumentality of Ananias and his, his, his role, however small or whatever we want to call it, and you might say the big role of Paul, who was a chosen instrument in the hand of God. This is still one story how Jesus Christ is powerful enough to keep and prosper his church. You must not miss the point that although Jesus Christ does use men here, he's going to use Paul, he's used Stephen, he used Philip, he used Ananias. He doesn't need any man. Uh, for his own glory, he pursues those who he loves. By his own power, he makes promises to the church which he keeps and fulfills. And to the very end, he walks with her to prosper her work and to ensure that the gospel is spread across the nations for the glory of Jesus, for his glory, and all glory be to Christ. Amen.